Hello and welcome to HEKSS Primary Care's first pod in action. My name is Tariq Hussain and this pod is going to be called Acronym Soup. I am one of the associate deans working in North and West Kent for KSS and I really wanted to give you guys an opportunity to listen to some of the things that we do and also give you an opportunity to listen to some interesting interviews. So later on, we'll have our primary care dean, Professor Chris Warwick, who will join us on the call, and we will interview him about his journey from trainee in KSS to the very top of GP training. For now, uh, I'd like to take you through some of the acronyms that we in KSS work with on a day-to-day basis. I'm sure a lot of these will be familiar to you, but I wanted just to run through how we use some of the acronyms and how they're going to be relevant to your time as a GP trainee. I'm going to run down the top five acronyms that we use and just have a little discussion about each of those. The first one It's a bit of a cheat because it's really three in one. It is your membership of the Royal College of GPs, the three elements that make up your MRCGP, and they are the Workplace-Based Assessment, WPBA, the Remote Consultation Assessment, RCA, and the Applied Knowledge Test, the AKT. The AKT is a uh, multiple choice based exam, which you sit in a driving test center. And this is an examination that you will undertake usually in your ST2 year. It lasts for three hours and 15 minutes, and it is a lot of reading, takes a lot of preparation. The remote consultation assessment is the current college's method of assessing your consultation skills. And for now, it takes place in your surgeries, in your ST3 year, and it's your opportunity to display your skills as a consultant with real patients. The workplace-based assessment is your colloquially known as your e-portfolio. And it's through this route that your educational supervisor, your ES, will assess your progress on the capabilities. These are the 13 domains that you'll get to know well over your three years of GP training. The workplace-based assessment is made up of several strands of evidence. And here comes number two in our acronym list. The workplace-based assessment, WPBA, has several different elements that make it up. Are you ready? CBDs, COTS, CATS, SEPs, PSQs, MSF. Some of these will already be familiar to you, some of these will be new. However, by the end of your training, you will be very familiar with all these terms. And I would suggest part of your work in ST1 would be to have a look through some of these terms on the RCGP website and familiarise yourself with how that evidence needs to look. 
And why do we need to collect this evidence? Well, at the end of each six month period, that's when your educational supervisor should meet up with you and you will have an ESR, an educational supervisor's review. The ESR takes place after six months, at which point it's known as an interim ESR, and after 12 months. The 12 month ESR assesses all your learning in the last year and shows how you're producing evidence and making enough uh, evidence with things like clinical supervisors reports. That's the reports that you get from each post, for example, pediatrics or medicine or obstetrics and gynecology and puts it all into one place. And at the end of that ESR, your educational supervisor has to make a decision about whether you are satisfactory to progress to the next stage. This satisfactory ESR is done within eight weeks of something called, acronym for, your ARCP. The ARCP is the Annual Review of Competency Progression. And it is here that an independent panel will take as advisory your ES's uh, review and will then make a decision of their own as to whether you are competent to progress through to your next specialist training year. ARCPs, I appreciate, can be quite scary, especially if you are missing bits of evidence and have to attend a panel where three senior educators will discuss your progress. But they are intended to be a helpful process to ensure that you get through and meet all the requirements so that you can CCT, get your certificate of completion of training. And who are the people that will help you through this progress? Well, coming up to our fifth acronyms now, your ES, we've already talked about them, your TPDs, your training program directors, who you will likely meet on the first day in induction, these are the local trainers who often are educational supervisors, but not always, and who are there to ensure that your programs run smoothly and provide a link between the deanery and your trusts. The TPDs, and they are mostly there are three in each scheme, report to a patch associate dean, which is the role that I'm in. The patch associate dean will cover a large area usually half of Kent, Surrey or Sussex, and report to his or her head of school, who then reports to our primary care dean. As you can see, there are several elements for you to learn as a new trainee in HEEKSS. However, if you understand and can ensure that those core evidence requirements are achieved, then everything else will flow from that and your ESs and your TPD will help you through the acronym soup to lead you to CCT. Talking of people to help you through, I'd like at this point to introduce our very first interviewee to the pod. And this is Professor Christopher Warwick. And we'll find out from him what he thinks you need to succeed in GP training. 
Hi, Christopher. So thank you so much, Professor Warwick, for joining our first HEKSS podcast about primary care. Um, we just had a little chat beforehand to say that neither of us are podcast experts, so we'll try our best not to have ums and ahs and hopefully have relatively free flowing conversation. Thank you. It's a pleasure to um, talk to you in this way. Um, and we know that we've been thinking about doing this kind of thing for some time. So it's really good to finally be getting to the stage where we can put something together. So thank you. So, uh, uh, Professor Warwick, or I'm going to probably start calling you Chris now because it'll, it'll feel strange. Um, you've had a lot of roles within KSS, most recently head of school and now dean for primary care. So you're probably a name that lots of people might have seen on pieces of paper and things, but people might not know you in the same way that the primary care dean team know you. Maybe you could just give us a flavour of what it is you do and and how you see your role. Sure. Um, well, uh, first and foremost, I'm a GP. That's uh, what you'd find if you cut me in half. That's what you'd find written through me. And um, I was really pleased to do my training actually in KSS. Um, in fact, I moved to where I currently live now in order to do GP training and I haven't really left. Um, and it was a bit it wasn't a particularly deliberate attempt to move to Surrey, which is where I'm based. Um, but uh, once once you do your training somewhere, you kind of start making routes and then you get married and that sort of thing happens yeah. and then you settle down. So um, I've, I've been all kinds of different clinical GP roles over the years. I've been salaried. I've been a partner a couple of times. My current clinical work is in a virtual service. Um, uh, uh, which actually is really good and works flexibly around my dean commitments, which are quite time consuming, really. The majority of my time is spent on deanery kind of work, um, but I have a really nice balance. And one of the things I've always loved about general practice is the flexibility to find sure. a job that fits around everything else you want to do. Yeah, sure. And and if someone uh, was coming to you for the first time, didn't know anything at all about a primary care dean, what would you say are the sort of, I don't know, the, the, the guiding principles, the ethos which you use to, to fulfil that role? It, it's something I know you've talked about before in various meetings that we've had. Well, my starting point has to be values. And I think that it's very easy. We tend to assume that that people understand what the values of the NHS are because it's such a such a revered national treasure of a concept um, but we're not always very explicit about what we mean by that yeah. so I think it being all about the patient has to be where you start from and trying to provide a service that is of high quality um, and that delivers uh, uh, an improvement towards uh, addressing health inequality whilst catering for the entire population to give people what they need. Mm. I think on a personal level, my general practice uh, trainer um, was was a real inspiration in terms of uh, the personal connection that you can make in a right. consultation. Sure, name um, check, name check them. Uh, uh, John Howard, the late John Howard, who was um, uh, active in all kinds of different ways, did lots of work with the Royal College, um, worked with the deanery at the time um, uh, and sadly no longer with us. But he was 
a real example of a true generalist, very proud of his clinical acumen, which was much better than mine, um, but also got me into understanding that our main tool as GPs is our communication skills and our ability to tune into what people really want, what they really think, and get to that nitty gritty intimate level that um, almost nobody else in your life does in the yeah. time that we have available. And it's interesting that we're talking a lot about patients because some people would look at HEE in the deanery as being like quite removed from patients and primary care in, you know, the sort of work that we're doing. But I think, and often we'll have meetings, won't we, where people will be discussing all sorts of things, but bringing it back to the individual and the patient, I think has to be at the core, doesn't it? Well, uh, in order to maintain our motivation as to why we're doing it, because otherwise it can become a bit of an administrative mm. sort of role. Uh, and that and there's room for that because when, in, in order to educate a, a large workforce across a, la a large region of the UK involves a massive amount of logistics. Yeah, so sure. there's some of that to it. But I think if if we don't, if we forget that it's about patients and actually about the learners. So so more specifically, what's the primary care dean doing? Well, he's trying to ensure that the, that the learners and increasingly multi-professional learners, but GP trainees is what, what you and I have both worked more closely with mm -hmm. over the last decade. Um, it, it, making sure that they're having a positive experience that means that they want to stay in the system, that they want to work. Uh, and that they're having an interesting job, but also that they're safe. So I would say my my main fo function as a primary care dean is to keep everyone safe. Mm. And that would include the dean team, it would include the administrators, it would include anybody working with us in any form to try and protect them from sometimes themselves, sometimes from threats from outside, um, just to maintain everyone's position so that they feel good. And my personal mantra to the team, hopefully that's re received by them, is um, you're only allowed one sleepless night about something to do with work because the following day you need to tell me what your problem is and then it's up to me to have the sleepless night from there on in or deal with it. Yeah. Because um, that's why we're here. Otherwise, this work can it's, it's draining, it can be complex, it can be very difficult and there are always, I don't know about two sides to every story, I think there are about 12 sides yeah. to most stories I get involved with. I mean that's interesting because I suppose uh, one thing that you'll see in your role and I see a little bit is all sorts of different stories and people going through their primary care journey in lots of different ways, often not entirely smoothly. Um, this podcast is hopefully going to be listened to by some of the new ST1s and we just had a little bit of an intro about all the various acronyms that we use within HEE, so many different sorts of things. If you had a chance to say two or three kind of top tips to those ST1s with the experience that you've had of people having difficult journeys, what sort of things do you think they should be looking out for in their you know, upcoming three years or so as uh, GP trainees with KSS? Um, I think we know a lot about the sort of problems people have having worked for many years now with the N well it's not really new but the the current MRCGP mm. process um, so we are in a position to give quite specific advice to people about how they might struggle and therefore how we can help them so my plea to all new GP trainees would be please try and be open to offers of help and advice 
because um, doctors tend to have a sense of pride that can get in the way of accepting useful help and mm. often what I've witnessed is people only accepting help at such a late stage that it's really difficult for them to ever recover from it so it's a bit like trying to prevent an injury in an athlete rather than waiting for the Achilles to rip and then fixing yeah. it. Yeah yeah absolutely and I think definitely the, the sorts of things that I've seen and, and research will back that up you know inevitably we sort of keep going and going and going and sometimes digging in a hole because that seems like the only answer but there are definitely people out there who will know the experience you're going through whatever it is they've probably seen it before with multiple other sorts of learners and are, and are there to help you that it's unlikely they're going to be shocked or surprised by almost anything that you know you were to tell them I would have thought. I think that's right and I think I mean the most humbling experience in my journey to this point was probably my own master's work which was a, around how international medical graduates perceive their own learning needs and it was really interesting for me to realize that firstly that's not it, it's a term that's bandied about but it's not a, a, heter, a, a homogenous group at all sure. um, it's as varied as the number of people in it just like everything else we're all unique but that um, much of the much of the struggle that that people from a different background from outside the UK have is is made worse by everyone's reluctance to talk about it um, and and that being honest and open about where we've come from wherever it is whether it's a, a position of white privilege if you like or whether it's a position of of extreme different culture um, bringing that out into the open and, and acknowledging that we all we are all um, a product of our of our life to date sure. uh, makes it much easier then to start thinking okay so you might need this but what I need to get to the get to the capability uh, uh, point is is something slightly different and in the same way that as a GP I want to be patient-centered as an educator I want to be learner-centered I want to know all about you so that I can try and help you identify what it is you need to get to, from A to B yeah, my favourite piece of theory, Vygotsky's zone of proximal development. Have a look at that if you want to um, impress me in an interview in future. Oh, top tip. Um, interesting about uh, people from different cultures, because uh, in the same way, I often say to trainees, this is how I might be running a consultation and these might be my techniques and my preferred style. But that doesn't mean that it's the best or right or the only way and if you sit in with all my colleagues you'll pick up different styles from all of them and different patients react in different ways to those so I do think that is part of the way that general practice works best that it's the variety of styles that, that patients can appreciate. Coming on to uh, GP, oh sorry go on. I don't even think that's just about general practice. I think that's absolutely right. And it's about authenticity. So there are a million ways of making someone feel better, but it has to be authentic and it has to be you. Mm. You have to be being yourself. Otherwise, people won't feel it. They'll know that you're faking it or you're um, forcing yourself. So you're completely right. There are, there, there are, there, and that's where I think some of the exam preparation focus that people get 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 narrowed down to is that they view it as a sort of performance and it isn't it's about finding the comfortable zone practicing 
frequently enough to find the comfortable zone that you can access that 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 rapport with with anyone that yeah. means that they open up to you and you can help them talking about that's brought us nicely onto my next topic talking about um gp training um your role is a primary care dean and for a long time we used the word gp meaning primary care and that's definitely not where we are now. So if you have doctors that say to you, Professor Warwick, I want to be taught only by doctors and I want to be taught only by GPs. That's where I see the value. How 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 is the world moved on? What, what does primary care mean uh, now to you as opposed to GP training? I think um, that the days of the 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 dominance of any profession are numbered if not over and and quite rightly so because whilst i will always be proud to be a gp and have the skill set that gps have their um, patients need lots of different things um, many of which GPs aren't the best person to provide. So I had a conversation with a new member of our team earlier today who's a physio by background, and we were discussing how we might help someone, what, what our contribution to someone presenting with a shoulder problem might be. And it was quite apparent that actually, if I was a patient and I had a shoulder problem, I'd be better off seeing a physio um, straight off. So it, it, I think anyone, any GP trainee that starts from a position of I only want to be taught by doctors is probably going to find primary care not not the most comfortable of environments to be working in because it's not how it's going to work and it's not even desirable that it is it, it because we don't no one can have the full expertise to offer all the things that modern patients require the job has changed the world has changed and um, so if I want dietetic advice, I need a dietitian. Uh, no GP will ever be as good as a dietitian on that topic. Yeah. Um, the, the challenge for the workforce and the challenge for all of us, and I don't think anyone has nailed it yet, is how do we connect the patients with the minimum of bureaucracy or, or organisation to the best clinician at that particular moment in that particular setting in a way that's convenient to them but also sustainable and manageable and 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 affordable for the for the country because ultimately the nhs is funded entirely out of yeah. our own pockets of taxpayers money um that's not that's not easy and i think technology has a big part to play but I don't think anyone is close to nailing it yet and i'm quite excited that before i retire i think we will need to be so um, very exciting time to be training as a GP because the job will continue to evolve. And, and general practice and primary care has, has always been, I, I feel like it's always been at the forefront of evolution, willing to try new things, uh, you know, bringing other people on board, you know, sooner maybe than other disciplines. Um, I mean, it, the, the smaller organisations enable yeah. a level of agility yeah. that huge, great, big hospitals uh, struggle with. They, they, what they don't bring is vast resources, financial resources, which sometimes makes it more difficult. But you're absolutely right that uh, primary care and general practice ha have always been at the cutting edge of, of where things are going. And I don't think that's any different now. Right now, as a result of the pandemic and the sort of um, 
the the ongoing waves the vaccination program and and how busy it is perhaps means that it's as difficult to work in primary care as it ever has been sure. today yeah yeah um, but one hopes that that won't last forever no no absolutely the um the other thing that we talk about a lot is the system the system and he has many different other partners stakeholders that it works with and I know that some of your time is spent interacting with those other other people. If you are going to give um, GP trainees or, or primary care trainees a kind of glimpse into that wider world, how, you know, how could you describe it to them? I think um, it, it takes a long time to work out who does what. And um, most of my colleagues laugh a little bit about the fact that they often go to meetings in which people all have the same title or the same words in their title, but in different orders. So someone might be the head of workforce transformation in primary care and somebody else might be the primary care transformation head and that kind of stuff, all working for perhaps their NHS England, who are the people who uh, essentially are tasked by the Department of Health to spend money on on patients' behalf, mm. uh, or or working for the uh, integrated care systems, CCGs, clinical commissioning groups that 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 part of the system who are the providers delivering the care, um, is certainly in primary care, um, or or uh, Health Education England, the, the deanery, the people responsible for education and training, um, it's. It, it, the, the landscape is blurred and I think one of my personal objectives uh, it's, it's taking on this job is trying to um, orchestrate closer collaboration between the different parts of the system because ultimately we are one NHS but it can be, we can fall back into uh, our own organisations delivering our own priorities rather than thinking actually I can't do my bit without uh, the people providing the care, the people providing the care can't get it right unless it's commissioned correctly by the people with the money and the people can't commission the future health care unless we've trained the right people. So it has to be by collaboration. That's, I don't think that's as effective as it can be but it's getting better all the time. Yeah yeah and the, and the focus is there now. We, people appreciate and realise that there has to be that level of collaborative understanding between but it's really complex isn't it and the nhs is is millions of things millions of people there are hundreds of thousands of organizations and all of them feel like they all of us me included feel like i've got the version of what it should be like in my head and of course um it's really easy to make huge assumptions about the fact that we're all trying to achieve the same thing um and Perhaps we're not, and neither should we be, because then it will all stagnate and stop moving forward. So you need innovators and people doing trying on the fringes of stuff. So balancing, one of the big conversations I have with my peers across the country is the balance between um, encouraging innovation and, and excellence and tr pushing the margins at the same time as not disadvantaging a different group and therefore creating a new problem that you didn't have before in terms of inequality. And that's a really tense balance. Um, that I, uh, I I struggle with, I kind of internally wrestle with quite a lot. Um, no, that's that's really helpful. Well, uh, um, Professor Warwick, clearly you have a huge brain and we really appreciate you giving us an opportunity to see inside for a little bit. Um, 
we will have more of these podcasts coming up and we'll focus on different elements but i really appreciate you taking time out of your really busy schedule to uh ha have a few words with us today um just to sign off is there anything that you want to say about how you might relax and have fun at the end of a day of uh wheeling and dealing and high-powered meetings with the head of transformation well, this evening uh, I'm doing a four hour clinical shift because oh. I really like the Friday night tea time people. I don't know why. Um, but generally speaking, my two things, if you want to know a little bit of personal stuff, um, I like to sing. So I sing in a semi-professional choir uh, once a week and my exercise regime, I hate the gym, so but I do I am quite uh, committed to yoga I love yoga um, and do that at least twice a week so that's Brilliant. my thing really yeah okay singing next time next time next season we'll, we'll try for that uh, well you know I don't know how long one has to wait before being invited back but it's been a real pleasure and thank you for doing this I'm really looking forward to seeing where it goes in future and, and um, uh, hopefully um, uh, we're, we're doing something that'll be of interest but what my one plea is anyone that's listening to this and has an idea about how we can do things better, feed it in, tell us, contact us and let us know what you think in terms of um, how we can improve primary care education and training in Kensar and Sussex because uh, no one's got all the answers. I definitely haven't. So if you've got an idea, uh, tell us what it is, please. Fantastic. Thanks so much, Professor Warwick. Uh, there will be another episode next month and uh, please uh, listen in and share and uh, uh, encourage your colleagues to listen as well. Thank you so much. Fabio, thank you.